Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, a podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. Betsy, <laughs> it's been a little while since we chatted, but uh, how are things going with you? It has been a while, and uh, the band's back together, and it feels pretty good. I um, am eager to commence these conversations with you again. It remains a target-rich environment. And uh, plenty to talk about, plenty to call people's attention to. And I'm glad that we're starting this back up again. Absolutely. And uh, just so folks know who you are, you've been a longtime Oregon legislator. You left the state Senate to run for Oregon governor. Uh, both your mother and father were extremely involved in public service. You're a native Oregonian, uh, born in central Oregon. And uh, you were in the legislature for more than two decades. At one point, you were one of the chairs of the Ways and Means Committee, which is the committee that writes the budget. Uh, you've been a longtime outspoken person in the legislature, calling people out of the number of things. That's not going to change. Just your job changed. And so you still have all the insight you had before. You still have all the contacts you had before. And you certainly have all the knowledge you had before. So that didn't change. Just your position changed. All that is exactly true. And uh, despite the fact that we didn't prevail in the governor's race, I, I love this state and there's still plenty to talk about. It, it is a, um, a state in a state of decline, which makes me very sad. And uh, I'm working with some people on a variety of different issues, helping to make common cause to try to address some of these problems head on. Let me just start with what I think is the elephant in the room, and that is that in 2020, Oregonians, I believe, um, in an uninformed vote, voted basically to decriminalize drugs. And so, quote unquote, personal possession amounts of drugs now have virtually no consequences. We burn down the bridge between treatment and addiction because there are no consequences now at all. We've renamed, not we, because I'm not participating in any of this hide the ball stuff, but people have renamed some of the uh, elements of ballot measure 110. Uh, harm reduction, for example, is an absolute misnomer. And when the pro ballot measure 110 people talk about what a great job they've done in engaging the public, they're talking a lot about harm reduction. Harm reduction means if I go give you a crack pipe or a clean needle, or I poke my head in your tent and say, how's it going? That that engagement counts as a harm reduction activity. And so the proponents of ballot measure 110 have said there've been 60,000 engagements. I'd like to know out of that 60,000 engagements, how many people are on the road to recovery? And I'm gonna say it's damn few. So ballot measure 110, in my opinion, is at the root of much of what is causing Portland's precipitous decline in terms of uh, housing crisis, mental health crisis, crime and violence on the streets. And it's got to end. And I believe that the, the end to those things that I just ticked off uh, starts with ending ballot measure 110 as it passed. So, so folks who aren't from Oregon uh, and may not know what ballot measure 110 did, uh, can you kind of give us a little thumbnail? Basically, my understanding of it was that it's, basically said drugs are legal. If you get pulled over for having a, a small amount of whatever drug it is, whether it's heroin, methamphetamine, fentanyl, you know, PHP, I could go on and on and on. But whatever drug you got, as long as it's enough for quote unquote personal use, you're good to go. And the goal was to keep people out of jail for small amounts of drug possession, I guess. 
you summed it up perfectly. And the way that it was sold to uninformed Oregonians was, do you want to go to the joint for a joint? Is treatment better than criminal punishment? And people said, yeah. What they didn't understand was that the chief proponents of ballot measure 10 are many of the financial beneficiaries, because we're using cannabis money uh, in a different stream to drive all of the 110 stuff. It got off to a very slow start. Our erstwhile secretary of state, who has now left that office based on, on really corruption charges, Shamia Fagan, produced a, um, an audit that admitted the fact that the state of Oregon got off to a very bad start in the implementation of ballot measure 110. That hasn't gotten any better. And when one thinks about the amount of money that is sloshing around Oregon to address homelessness, upwards of a billion dollars, and the amount of money that's sloshing around to address drug addiction, and the streets of Portland are not changing. One has to ask, where is all this money going and how do we measure success? And right now, I think with no accountability in any of the ballot measure 110, there's no way to judge the efficacy of the people holding out alleged treatment programs. And you, there's no way to measure if you get somebody off drugs or what, two hours, two days, two weeks, two months, two years? Do they come back into um, the community as productive citizens? None of those accountabilities were there. And what we've functionally done is to take away the threat of any kind of sanction if a person gets um, stopped with drugs, they can call a number and say, I'm, I'm good to go. And basically that's it. The police walk away and the person goes right back to, to um, abusing drugs. And then you've got the county doing some of the stuff that is just absolutely inexplicable. When you think they can't do anything any dumber, they do something dumber. They're now gonna be handing out um, material with which to use uh, fentanyl that does not involve injecting it on the theory that if you smoke fentanyl, it is less deleterious to one's health than if you inject drugs. And so in the name of harm reduction, not only are we passing out clean needles, but we're also um, passing out foil and pipes and all kinds of paraphernalia with which to ingest a drug that is demonstrably lethal if abused. And one point I wanted to make just for clarification sake, you're not saying every homeless person does drugs. You're not saying every drug user is homeless there, but the two have a lot of, there's a lot of people that are both homeless and drug addicted. Absolutely. And I'm glad you clarified that because you, your comment certainly reflects my thoughts. Um, but we ought to be making it easier to, to get people housed and we ought to be making it easier and more accountable to get people off drugs. Um, and the proliferation of drugs downtown in, in Portland is just horrific. Uh, you have a, a, a meth that kills slowly. You've got fentanyl that kills quickly. You've got the police with their hands tied and a ballot measure that's sort of King's X for anybody that wants to use or deal on the streets. So wh where is this money supposedly coming from then that they're that they're using to do all this? This is all from cannabis sales and it's getting redirected to deal with other drugs? Yes. Uh, and and the problem with the cannabis sales is that I think if you ask most folks, 
they would say that there's not a giant amount of accountability in the cannabis world. I'll go back to my comments about our former Secretary of State. Uh, she left her office while in the midst of an audit of the cannabis industry that she was leaking advanced copies to the industry. We grow dope in Oregon that's very potent and fast growing and high quality. And uh, it's leaking out of Oregon at a prodigious rate. The southern part of this state where the best dope growing ground is, uh, any flat spot, somebody's got a, a marijuana grow on it. And I can damn sure tell you that people that are stealing water to water these marijuana grows out of any water impoundment, lake, river, reservoir, irrigation ditch, are not really worrying about the ecological values of stealing water so much as they are making sure that they're getting their crops watered and retaining maximum profit for themselves. So you've got the, the southern part of the state that remains kind of the Wild West. You've got a liquor control agency that was changed to be liquor and cannabis control that has gone through its own set of turmoil. And now there are lawsuits flying and a proposed warehouse for liquor distribution is on hold and under a high degree of scrutiny. You've got the top five or seven, I don't know how many people are, are fired or quit. Um, and so the regulatory body is in turmoil. The growing season, now that it's summer is in full effect, we have a, a police crisis, a water crisis, lax drug enforcement, and then everybody wonder, wanders around and wonders, what happened to Oregon? Well, there's part of the problem right there. And uh, to talk about the OLCC, the Oregon Liquor Control and Cannabis Commission, just for a moment for folks, again, who are not familiar with how Oregon works. First of all, let's just say Oregon does things different, okay? We don't pump our own gas. We don't have sales tax, as you have said to me, I don't know how many thousands of times. It's kind of written in our DNA. So Oregon's a control state as far as liquor goes. You have to go to a state liquor store. You can't go to the grocery store. Um, you can't go to a convenience store. You have to go to the grocery store. Uh, it's the same with marijuana. They don't sell that in the grocery store. They sell that in pot shops, which are proliferating all over the place. I don't know how many are in the state, but there's a lot. So just so folks know, Oregon does things differently than other states do. Well, and then when we do do things differently and we want to change, we change in kind of a dumb way because the legislature has just passed a bill to allow the uh, Oregonians to pump their own gas. But many people thought, well, it'll be cheaper if I can pump my own gas or it can be quicker if I can go in and pump my own gas. So now they're going to have hybrid um, uh, gas stations where you've got full service pumps and pump your own at the same price. That has yet to be um, fully uh, um, the, the legislation implemented, but I don't know how that's going to work. And I, I don't know where the savings are for the gas station people, and I certainly don't know where the savings are for the gas buying motorists. But um, uh, you're right, we do do things differently. I had drove through Washington the other day. I had to go up to British Columbia to be a eulogist at a funeral, and I went into a grocery store. I, I have to admit, I'd never purchased hard liquor before in a grocery store. I'm a native Oregonian, and I'm so used to going down to what they used to call green fronts because all of the stores were painted green. And it was like a little, uh, you'd go in and these little saloon doors would swing and you could, there was somebody there at the desk that helped you pick out what you wanted. Um, 
it it's really quite remarkable to go in all the booze at least in this Safeway that I was in in Washington is locked up and you have to have an attendant come and they take your selection out and take it up to the counter and then you pick it up when you pay for your groceries on the way out. Um, so uh, Oregon does do things differently. Our gas situation is going to change and I, I eventually this dope situation is going to change too because the proliferation of marijuana shops, dispensaries, whatever you want to call them. We'd had two tracks on the use of medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. That gave an extra level of confusion to how sales went. And I know that in the little town that I live in, population about 8,000, when we had, um, uh, I think, upwards of five or six marijuana stores, it was pretty clear that we were going to run out of people to smoke before we run out of product to sell. And lo and behold, a couple of these have either gone under or, or changed hands with somebody else thinking that they're a smarter salesman than the last guy. But uh, the proliferation of uh, drug sales outlets is stunning. And then you compound that with the fact that Oregonians have also passed a, um, a clinical use of psilocybin mushrooms. And so there are now psilocybin using places, the, the, that drug has to be used under um, supervision of quote unquote trained people. They're not medical professionals. I don't know very much about psilocybin. It was touted to the voters as something that would alleviate, alleviate PTSD and stress among veterans. I think that's a very good thing that it helps find inner enlightenment. I don't know exactly what that is. And uh, and so we've we've got uh, this new addition to our cornucopia of drugs, and that's uh, psilocybin use. And uh, so as soon as you uh, your governor's race was over, you didn't rush out and buy yourself some shrooms and take a little trip then. Uh, no, I uh, know you did that's, not. That is absolutely correct. I did not, nor will I. <laughs> All right. Well, I did uh, back in a former life. I did talk to the people that sponsored that measure. And I don't know if this sets your mind at ease at all, but it is regulated. It does have to be in a certain place. Um, it's not what some people thought it might be, which was, you know, being able to go to a shop like you go to a marijuana shop, a dispensary and get mushrooms. You can't do that. Um, so that's a good thing. Uh, it, it may have medical benefit. I don't know. Um, and certainly the people that proposed it thought it did. And, uh, you know, who, how long before other drugs are legal? Well, we're already there, aren't we? Yeah, we're pretty much there. And it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Going back to this group that I'm working with that's trying to address the question of um, amending ballot measure 110. The first thing that, that we did was to go out and do a survey and find out or a poll and find out what Oregonians were thinking. Oregonians are, in both my practical experience and that that I've observed, compassionate, thoughtful people. And the notion that somehow they wanted to build treatment into the cannabis um, revenue stream remains. But they are universally dissatisfied with ballot measure 110. So it is amend ballot measure 110. Now, what shape that's going to take, I don't know. Could it be a legislative re-referral? Um, probably not. The only thing that this last legislative session did was to recriminalize a gram of fentanyl, which in my knowledge is a pretty big amount of fentanyl. Um, so was that a step in the right direction? Yes. Did it close a kind of interesting loophole? Yes. Did it fix anything? No. 
So uh, knowing that the public has an interest in trying to keep a treatment element, uh, we're looking at ballot measure 110 to see if we can draft legislation to be presented to the legislature for their consideration that would greatly amend what the people passed when they passed ballot measure 110. Failing to convince the legislature to act, then we would raise enough money, and we're in the process of doing that right now, raise enough money to take the question to the ballot uh, with a much more aggressive approach at um, reining in ballot measure 110. Some of the people that are working on this are law enforcement, uh, the philanthropic sector, the business community. Uh, it, it, has a, it has a wide support. And as we have gone around and talked to people asking for them to financially participate, the response has been very positive. Um, I think that most folks, when you explain the correlation between crime, housing, uh, uh, lawlessness on the streets that they are enthusiastic about being part of, of uh, formulating a solution. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.